Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Good morning. I'm Andrea Heng sitting in for Michelle Martin here on Your Money. Most Asian stocks are up after an all-time high for U.S. shares on optimism that the global recovery can weather risks from the coronavirus and tightening monetary policy. Equities jumped in Japan but dipped in South Korea while U.S. futures inched lower. A U.S. index of Chinese stocks slipped, however, taking its 2021 losses past 44% amid Beijing's regulatory crack down. The latest steps, new curbs on offshore listings by firms in sectors off-limits to foreign investment, a move that could plug a loophole long used by the tech industry to raise capital overseas, but more on that in just a bit. Hong Kong will reopen after a holiday and Australia remains shut. In the US, stock indexes rose on Monday as markets reopened after the Christmas holiday. Investors assessed the spread of the Omicron COVID-19 variant. Here's a recap, the S&P 500 gained nearly 1.4%, marking its 69th record close of the year. The Dow Jones Industrial Average added roughly 1%, and the Nasdaq Composite ticked up about 1.4%. Investors are looking for a Santa Claus rally to close out a year in which the S&P 500 has returned more than 27%. Tech stocks boosted the S&P on Monday. Chip names like AMD and NVIDIA were among the average's top gainers respectively adding 5.6% and 4.4%. Energy stocks were also among the index's leaders as oil prices moved higher. APA Corp added about 7.3%, Devon Energy gained nearly 6.1% and Diamondback Energy rose 4.9%. Lots to get through this morning, but first let's say good morning to our very own Ryan Huang. Good morning, sir. Morning, Andrea. How are you doing today? I'm not too bad. I'm looking forward to end the year with a bang. Hopefully the markets are too. Uh, Let's take a look at our top headline, the one that you uh, brought my attention to. China will impose new restrictions on offshore listings by firms in sectors that are off limits to foreign investment. Uh, Again, this is a move that could pluck that loophole that uh, has been used by the country's tech firms to raise capital overseas. The National Development and Reform Commission and the Ministry of Commerce says Chinese firms in industries banned from foreign investment will need to seek a waiver from a negative list first before proceeding for share sales. Let's first take a look at the details of this new restriction. What can you tell us, Ryan? Yeah, so this is, I guess, a bit of a reflection of the latest move in the wider clampdown on Chinese companies Mm. going overseas for capital raising. So what we have here is a couple of uh, new rules for overseas investors to take note of. For example, uh, they will be forbidden from taking part in management and their total ownership will be kept at 30%. And no single investor can hold more than 10%. So that is going to be part of a list updated effective January the 1st. So it does... Uh, signify a bit of a move by China to plug this long-running loophole where Chinese companies can go to a VIE structure or variable interest entity structure to park their profits. And then that shell company is open for investment to foreign investors to get around that um, bit of a regulation where you can't directly invest in Chinese companies. So that has been long tolerated by the Chinese government. They haven't endorsed it, but Mm. at the same time, they haven't really outright banned it yet. Mm -hmm. So 
it's worth noting they have not uh, said anything about banning it, but the new rules does make the entire process more difficult and costly because it does require now any interested party or company to get approval or permission from the regulator before um, taking part in such an exercise. So a bit of a obstacle or speed bump when it comes to capital raising. So you've got one less venue of sorts for Chinese companies. Right, so it's it's kind of a way uh, for the Chinese government to give these companies a chance to ro- right the wrongs, so to speak, before an outright ban. Um, we did mention that a lot of these uh, companies are tech firms that tend to raise capital overseas. Um, specifically, which firms are we looking at that will be the most affected? So, as you would expect, it will be the ones regulators or Chinese officials will be most concerned with that would involve national security. So, things that might involve data, and right at the top of the list would be the technology companies, internet giants Mm. uh, or startups. And you also have the likes of the um, platform companies that could also be data users or data collectors as well. So, those will be right at the top of the list, as well as some of the financial companies. I would I would imagine um, online shopping platforms also might be targeted because, you know, they, they do collect a lot of data, customer data over time as well, yeah? So that's going to be one sector to watch out for. Um, pre- pretty much anything that might pose um, any leakage of data or pose a security risk down the road for China. So that's going to be um, part of the uh, equation when we look at what some of these um, restrictions might fall on um, the various sectors in China. Mm. And what kind of uh, impact, if any, will we see on the IPO market in China? Surely this will have some kind of a knock-on or domino effect as well. Okay, so there are a couple of scenarios that might play out. So one of them is, of course, if you can't go overseas for listings or if it's harder, you might come back home to uh, the greater China region. So Mm. maybe Hong Kong might see a bit of a catalyst when it comes to IPOs. The pipeline might become stronger, um, especially with the ones already listed in the US. They might be um, leaning towards um, hedging their bets, maybe for secondary listing in case rules change again mm. or the US-China tensions take up a notch and then you might see more pressure. And it's not just from China putting pressure on Chinese companies. You have the US side as well, the regulators also clamping down on a couple of fronts because of what they deem as insufficient transparency or accounting. So that's pressure on both sides. Maybe Hong Kong will be the winner here. Uh, also, if you look at the capital raising uh, implications, if it's tougher to raise capital, um, companies might just see business slow down because they need capital to expand. So uh, that's going to be one to watch out for in terms of um, the pace or the uh, reaction from uh, individual companies to the latest um, rollout of these regulations. Yeah, and one company that is uh, flying home to Hong Kong uh, is DD Global. Their stocks uh, tumbled on Monday after the Financial Times reported that current and former employees of the firm have been banned from selling any of their stock indefinitely. Shares of the Chinese ride-hailing giant fell 5.4% to close at $5.30 per share in New York trading. The move to block employees from unloading 
their shares comes just as early investors are able to sell stock on Monday with the end of Didi's 180-day lockup following its June IPO. Didi shares again currently down 5.36% at $5.30 USD, that is. Uh, Did we see this coming as as it prepares to flock back to the Hong Kong Stock Exchange? I think it did take some people by surprise, which is being reflected in the drop in the share price, 5.4%. So it wasn't priced in. And now this is just sending jitters across the board. So we've got um, a surprise move to block employees from selling their shares after they waited for at least 180 days. That's nearly half a year. So now if you are one of the loyal employees and were rewarded with stock in the early days and you were thinking, hey, maybe I can cash out for some uh, Christmas shopping or just buy that big ticket item. And then you're stuck because new rules apparently forbid you from doing so. So it's a bit of a surprise move. We don't have a lot of details into the reason why this was done. So something that we watch very closely. And of course, in the backdrop is all the issues surrounding Didi uh, where they apparently, um, of course, in the earlier months this year, decided to go for an IPO in the Mm. US against the wishes or blessings of the Chinese authorities. Mm -hmm. So they are under pressure to kind of do a bit of a makeover in terms of corporate governance. And I think this could be one of the um, issues playing out in terms of how things are being frozen. What could Didi do to rectify this? I mean, it, clearly they didn't price this uh, into um, in, into their development of this this move back to Hong Kong. What can Didi do to rectify this, especially to their former employees mm. who have a rather big share in the company? Well, that's a very good question, right? So typically, um, as a company, you would want to toe the line with the regulator or mm-hmm. the Chinese authorities. So this could involve... No, having a stake by one of the state-owned uh, investment firms, or just having someone on board in, on the on the on the board directors, so that could be a bit of a concession of sorts, and also just listen to the authorities. If they don't <laughs> want you to do something, just don't do it. So mm-hmm. that could be that could be one. So of course, uh, this is uh, something that is evolving, and I think it's quite difficult to tell. Um, what they need to do per se because we don't have a lot of details uh, outright. A lot of this is done behind the scenes. So maybe you could see a change of management, mm-hmm. you know, a change of CEO. We've seen this in um, Alibaba to some extent mm-hmm. um, with Jack Ma stepping away from the company. So maybe you could see something similar here. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on that certainly for you. According to the Financial Times report, DD's outside investors as well, uh, these include Uber, SoftBank and Tencent, they will still be able to offload shares on Monday, but uh, will likely still face steep losses after months of that selling pressure. Uh, Another Chinese company making the news again, we just spoke about them yesterday, Uh, we reported that Evergrande pledged to deliver some 39,000 new units as it races to restart projects to pay its debts. Well, today it's another downhill ride. Evergrande will face an initial interest payment deadline for $2 bonds today in its first major test of investor confidence after it was officially labelled a debt defaulter. The embattled firm has a $50.4 million worth of coupon due on a 7.5% 2023 bond, uh, according to Bloomberg Compiled Data. Let's uh, cut through the math, cut through the dry details here and uh, give us an update, Ryan. What are the risks here? 
Yeah, I am looking at two dollar bonds being due today. Um, and it's a bit of a deja vu, right? We've seen this play out before. Evergrande got a bond. Oh, yeah. And then sometimes they pay, sometimes they don't. And they didn't pay the last time. And that, well, could repeat again. Because if they didn't pay the first time, maybe they won't again. So you are looking at something that's been playing out for quite some time in the past year. And I think investors have been expecting this to some extent. So the thing here is the $2 bond payment deadlines are today and they have 30 days to pay it off. So there's going to be likely a bit of kicking the can down the road until mm. the end of the 30-day period before they are then reassessed um, potentially as a bigger defaulter than they already are. So they are already a defaulter. So I'm not sure how much more you can get <laughs> worse for them. It's like a soap opera, isn't it? Like it's just endless mm. episodes of the same crisis over and over and over again. Yeah, and the big questions um, come up again and again. Now, what is the Chinese government going to do? And it seems like the message has been quite consistent. They will not step in to build out Evergrande. Um, but they will do what it what's needed to just stabilize the broader sector in um, targeted measures, bits and pieces here and there, but not to outright build out any private sector company. So that is a message that has been quite consistent and I think investors have been um, well communicated with and that is not likely to see any major impact on sentiment if things mm. take a turn for the worse, at least with these uh, two bond payments. So can this at all have some kind of impact on that ambitious goal of delivering 39,000 units and restarting its other projects? Okay, so that is the other thing, right? We've been hearing how Evergrande has been trying to restart its construction projects mm. to um, aim to make 39,000 units or deliver them this month. So that is a huge jump from the 10,000 in each of the past three months. So mm -hmm. that is a bit of an acceleration on the efforts. Uh, so who knows where the cash is coming from because we don't really have um, transparency into um, their accounts. So they might not be hampered by the latest um, developments around the bond payments and also with the Chinese government now trying to push for stability in the wider property sector, they might have a bit of support with the construction projects. Uh, so maybe that could be something to take into account. I'm sure Evergrande will continue making the headlines even as we end 2021 and head into 2022. And speaking of housing, rents here in Singapore have jumped to a six-year high and analysts anticipate further increases as demand outweighs supply. So this adds then to costs for residents, especially expatriates, at a time when inflationary pressures are building. One analyst says apartments costing between $2,500 to $4,000 a month in rent may face the greatest upside pressure amid high demand. This year alone, some units have already seen rental growth of at least between 10% and 15%. The MAS has also sounded caution. Its financial stability review showed home rentals jumped 7.1% in the first nine months of 2021 thanks to, uh, thanks to a drop in vacancies. What do we know more about this situation, Ryan? Yeah, the drop in vacancies apparently one of the reasons why home rentals are going up. An interesting price point, um, data point. You know, it's costing around two thousand five to four thousand per month, and it might even go higher. Mm. So, what that suggests is, um, even though the supply may be somewhat adequate, we could be seeing 
further declines in the uh, vacancy rate because um, that's um, coming through from the central bank forecast and that could trigger a sharper increase in rental. So if you look at the index of rental prices, that has jumped to 111.3 in the third quarter and that is the highest since the first three months of 2015. And that was also something of a concern enough for the regulators to impose another round of cooling measures. Mm -hmm. So that could in turn have an impact on the sector, you know, people just stepping back from um, on block or thinking about making a second purchase for the property investment. So something that could play out. Um, and then you have also the expatriate um, community mm-hmm. as one of the um, hardest hit because many of them um, rent. So that is uh, one population to um segment to take into account. Yeah, and I mean, this plus the immigration curbs, of obviously due to the Omicron variant and COVID-19 in, in general, uh, continues to pressure expats who still want and need to come to Singapore to work. Uh, but what about the impact on Singaporeans who are renting? For example, I know a lot of younger Singaporeans who are flying the coop earlier uh, without the need to get married as the convention uh, purports, uh, as more people are working from home, a lot of them live in multi-generational homes. And I remember during the circuit breaker, a lot of these younger Singaporeans were actually renting just so they could have some peace and quiet and focus on their work. Uh, and I believe a lot of them are still continuing that renting uh, phase. So what do you think this is going to, what kind of impact do you think this is going to have on them? Yeah, if rents are going up across the board, there might be some spillover uh, impact into the um, prices that Singaporeans have to pay. So um, if you take into account as well the uh, prices foreigners have to pay in terms of buying a home, uh, there is that additional ABSD as part of the new cooling measures. So they are put off from buying it for now. So they might be renting for now. So something that could put more pressure in rental prices in the short term at least. So maybe Singaporeans could be incentivized to go elsewhere by HDB, uh, especially with the grants available to mm. Singaporeans and the supply of BTOs um, also appearing to be ramped up in the coming years. So something that could just change the consumption habits of um, or um, expectations of these um, foreigners or Singaporeans, excuse me. Absolutely. And I think uh, we should be talking to some uh, property experts in due time as the property crunch uh, continues to happen in Singapore. Uh, Turning to crypto now, uh, Bitcoin apparently has paled to its alternatives even as crypto has seen quite the blockbuster year. Some of the smallest coins are having a moment, so to speak. According to data from CoinMarketCap.com, Polkadot and Cardano were among coins posting the biggest moves on Monday following a relatively quiet holiday weekend as expected. Each were up more than 6% at one point before giving back some of those gains. Bitcoin, the largest digital asset, was little changed at about 51,000 as of 5pm in New York, as was Ether at about 4,060. Why is this happening, Ryan? And do you think this trend will continue into next year? Yeah, I think it is a factor of investors chasing the next big thing, right? When something's already run up so much, you will be thinking, hey, how much more higher can it go? And then you look at the next big Bitcoin of what might be mm. Bitcoin next time. So this is where the newer coins like Polkadot, Cardano and any of the other well, fancy coins in the current day mm-hmm. um, may be 
the flavor of the month. So something <laughs> to keep in mind. It might go up for now, but who knows what's going to happen at the end of the day because there are thousands of cryptocurrencies and this is driven by what is in the headlines. And some of it is not backed by fundamentals. Uh, but at least if you look at what is happening for the likes of Dogecoin, Cardano, Shiba Inu, um, at one point when Bitcoin was going up, they were just nowhere. Mm-hmm. But now that Bitcoin is appearing to plateau somewhat, uh, these coins are having their day in the sun. So it is something to keep in mind if you are thinking about getting into cryptocurrencies. It is very volatile. You don't know what coin will be the next big thing. Absolutely. But if you are a speculator, then maybe this is something for yeah, you to look this at. This is something to watch the weather on, whether the sun, whether they're having the day on the sun and then whether the rain clouds are going to come crawling in and dampening them as well. Uh, another one that's uh, been busy, Binance uh, has been busy since it left our tropical shores, swapping them for desert sand. It has apparently received in-principle approval from Bahrain's central bank to be a crypto asset service provider in the kingdom. CEO Tao Tangpeng said the company still needs to complete a full application process, which he said would be completed in due course. If successful, this would mark the first regulatory approval for a Binance entity within the Middle East or North Africa. Is this finally the footprint that Binance has wanted to indent in this region, Ryan? It might be. So if you look at what is um, happening with Binance, uh, they have been shopping for a HQ home and maybe it could be in the form of Bahrain because uh, it seems like they are making quite a bit of headway there, you know, setting up shop with the latest license and even the CEO has a home there right now. Exactly. And uh, I remember we mentioned uh, last week that he, there was a photo of him uh, dressed in the abaya. That was quite an interesting picture to look at first thing in the morning, for me at least. Uh, we mentioned that the Middle East has become quite a bit more appealing as an option. Uh, they're more open to having crypto exchanges. I remember you telling me as it shifts its economy to a digital future. Let's talk about the differences between this region and, say, Singapore. What makes it easier there than here, very simply put? I think it has something to do with what is um, playing out in the Middle East, right? So you've got um, a few things happening. First is how the Middle East was one of the first regions to embrace cryptocurrencies. In Mm. fact, uh, it has a Bitcoin fund on the Dubai Nasdaq exchange, uh, which started in June. And that was the first cryptocurrency listing in the Middle East. So it is part of a wider series of moves that the region has been um, doing to welcome cryptocurrency players. Mm -hmm. So it in a way, is easier to operate and in turn, um, that creates a bit of an ecosystem for more startups to join the party. Uh, Also worth noting, some experts say digital currencies may help to boost Islamic finance. Mm. I'm not sure how um, those details run, but that seems to be one of the factors being cited that it could be one of the um, drivers for demand for cryptocurrency. So that could be some of the interesting factors at play for the Middle East when it comes to crypto. Yeah, that's actually very, very interesting and we'll surely keep an eye out on that story for you here on Money FM 89.3. We are 28 minutes into the local trading day. Tell us, Ryan, what does your oracle tell you about the STI? Okay, so we saw the STI down slightly by 0.1% yesterday, snapping a four-day winning streak. And let's take a look at where we are right now if we are managing to bounce back. And we did, of course, get 
another record high on Wall Street. And right now, it seems like the SCI is taking a cue from um, the S&P 500. It's now in the green by 0.4% at 3,116. Pretty much most stocks are in the green. Only one is down, and that is Thai Beverage, lower by 0.8%. And at the other end of the table, Dairy Farm is up by 143 so that is something to um, watch out for because yesterday they were also at the top of the table. So extending gains from yesterday's uh, increase of 2.6%. So that's the encouraging picture we have of the Singapore markets right now. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Ryan Wong. Have a good Tuesday ahead. Uh, coming right up, Michelle Martin explores a new spot Bitcoin fund by Fintonia with its founder, Adrian Chung and Money and Me. That conversation in just under half an hour. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to the full interview, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app, that's A-W-E-D-I-O, available on Google Play or the App Store.